1: And you also have this weird shame because other people lose their lives to cancer or diseases and your family member, you know, made a choice, but they were also victim of a disease. And they were also, I I genuinely think he just wasn't in his right mind. And he didn't stop to think through him being gone and how for five years still afterwards, we're all still devastated by the fact that he's not here anymore.
0: Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Kirsten and her brother, Craig, were inseparable. They were best friends. They grew up together in a really close-knit family. Craig was successful, married, happy. Then one day, without warning, he took his life. This is a powerful episode that will change the way you look at suicide. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Kirsten, you have um, lived through, I think, something that we all go through life worrying about but not being sh- – you know, it's one of those things that you have zero control over. What started in 2015 for you?
1: My brother, who's, who was 31 at the time, Sean, um, lived in South Africa and he unfortunately took his own life by hanging. Um, he was a super successful man, he was a well-known interior architect who had been on multiple TV shows, he had a beautiful husband and a great life, gorgeous home, and one night in October, he decided that life was too much for him and he took his own life. And this was
0: this was obviously shocking to everybody, but did his husband sense something? Was this, I mean, you know, the the perfect life, the perfect job, perfect husband, was there something to him that was like, oh, you know, letting, letting the rest of the family know there's something going on?
1: Not at all. You know, Sean was my best friend and I had no idea. Sean and I spoke multiple times a week and I didn't know. And when I – when Sean, um I'll call him Sean C because his husband's also Sean. They're both Sean. Okay. Um when Sean C um told was speaking to me afterwards, he said there was just not one thing. Sean was always quite a highly strung man and he was quite emotional but not so much so that that we thought oh we've got to get him some help he had got himself help he was on antidepressants um but more because he had a lot of anxiety and he just said he he just none of us including my brother-in-law had any idea that this that this was even in his mind so you said
0: he took his own life by hanging where was his husband
1: so my brother-in-law was in the next room asleep my brother I think he must have put some planning into it because my brother-in-law was a bit upset that night. So he had given him something to help him sleep and they'd had quite a lot of wine. Um, I know that when we went afterwards, because when we found out I rushed over to South Africa um, afterwards, um, there there were a lot of bottles of wine. So we're not sure if it was them together or, or just my brother who had had a lot of, of wine, but, but um, my brother-in-law, he gave him a sleeping pill and said, you know, go, go have a good night's sleep. You need a good night's sleep. You'll be fine. And my brother-in-law went to bed and he said everything was fine. And my brother, unfortunately, um, he was in the next room, next door in the guest room. Because hanging is
0: the one that you really need to research. I- I'm assuming because you... Need to get it right um, if you're if you're going to be attempting that. There was no, I mean, how far back did they go once they found the body into researching like um, computer history and did was there any of that? You know, the planning, showing any signs of
1: planning. Well, to not, I don't want to go into too much detail, but the way that he did it um, was similar to a couple of celebrities that we've heard of. Um, recently. And unfortunately, I, being the person that I am, I was an, I'm was i an ex-journalist. And I really needed to know every last detail of, of what happened and how it happened. And he did it in a way that you would have had to research. I didn't know that you could do that. Okay. You, I didn't know that you could, you know, um, hang yourself the way that my brother did. Um, I had no idea. And um, I don't think most people would, it, it was definitely well planned out, there's there's no doubt in my mind. I don't, don't know whether he had planned it for a long time and then just that night went, okay, that's it, I've had enough, or whether it was a long-term plan that he knew that particular night he was going to do it. I know that he had had a few, he had just started his own business and I know that he had had some bad news about that that day, or around that day. So I'm not sure if that had something to do with it. He was a very high achiever, like he needed to be doing really well. And I'm not sure if that triggered something. People say that the week before, he was just the happiest they've seen him. Like as if he had let go of, he was just so relaxed that weekend before. People, he went out with friends, there's beautiful photos of him having so much fun. Um, so people were really shocked. Like the planning was obviously there, but he didn't let on.
0: Obviously very traumatic for your your brother-in-law waking up that day and looking for his husband. Have you gotten to speak to him about his experience and his trauma in throughout that and how he's coped?
1: Oh, extensively. He and I um, are also very close. We actually went on a long holiday to Bali before <laughs> before everything shut down. Um, I think it would have been about two years ago and we, we spoke in depth about um, these things. But what had happened was, he woke up at three o'clock in the morning and he had realized my brother wasn't in bed. And my brother had a habit of falling asleep on a couch, but he was uh, the king of the snoring. I when he slept at our house, it was when he came to visit me in Australia. It was it was intense. His snoring was bad, and he couldn't hear the snoring. Um, and he thought, "Oh, maybe he's fallen asleep on the couch and just been quiet." So he went through to um, to the lounge and this guest room where my brother was had a glass door, and he like a frosted glass. You couldn't see into the room enough, but you could see shadows. Mm. And he he saw the shadow against the door and he thought, what is he doing? Is he pulling luggage out of the the cupboard? Is he trying to pack? What's going on? And he went to push the door open and realized he couldn't. Um, And he kept trying to push it and he couldn't. And then he realized my brother was against the door. And he realized quite quickly that he was a dead weight. So he pushed the door open, managed to get it open, lay him down, started CPR. Well, I think first he called my cousin who lived a few blocks away and then um, uh, tried to call my dad, um, who my biological dad lives in South Africa still, um, who initially didn't answer thinking, oh, they've had another fight because they were were quite a, um, they had a beautiful relationship, but when they had a fight, it was a big one. (laughs) And usually my brother would leave and come to dad's at two o'clock in the morning. So, dad thought, oh, they've had another fight and I just, I'm just going to leave it. And then, when he kept trying to call, my dad went, oh, something's wrong. Um, but anyway, back to, he found Sean, started CPR, realised quite quickly that that wasn't going to work. But um, my cousin then arrived and continued that. And my brother in law just said the whole time he was thinking, this isn't real, this can't have happened how did this happen um and how did it happen without me even knowing that he was in the next room um i think it it must be my mum and i have discussed this multiple times we were so far away but how must it have been to see him because there's another layer to it as well with south africa is here in australia it would probably you know The paramedics would come and then the coroner would come and it would be a few hours. I think they wait. I think Sean, the coroner only arrived. The police came. I think it took a couple of hours for that. And then I think it was five or six hours that Sean was lying there before the coroner even came. Wow. Because South Africa is just under resourced completely in general. So it's a developing nation, you know. Um, and and I know that 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 was that took a long um a long time. So my dad, I know, sat with him and spoke to him for a while. Um, sort of, I guess, it, I guess everybody has different ways of dealing with it. My cousin said that he had pulled his shirt down and fixed his hair because he knew that my brother would just not be okay with not looking perfect. Mm. Um, when, you know, when the coroners came and and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that was, that was sort of the story of that night. Um, I know my brother-in-law had a lot of guilt and still does, um, about how did I not know, how did I not hear that something was happening? Um, and then after finding him, I think he feels like, could I have done more? From what I understand, he couldn't have. Um, My brother was well and truly gone by then. Um, Yeah, it's, his trauma is immense. He's been on medication for that for years. I think he's off that now. Um, He's met a beautiful partner now, which is amazing. He's still our family, part of our family, as he was before, he will always be, my other brother um but yeah i think the trauma of finding sean must have been i can't imagine i don't even want to try and imagine what he went through that night
0: did they find a note was there any explanation
1: yeah we did we did find a note he had written a little bit to each of us um he had also just written i just I just couldn't be here anymore It, i I didn't want to be here anymore It, it wasn't for me um and then you know he told each of us a different thing that was related to them for me it was um i love you so much and i'm sorry um you know each of my sisters got a little bit my stepdad my mom my dad all got a little mention um so he he it the only thing that makes me think that it was planned for a while but was more sort of of an impulsive action that night was that the the letter he had written was ripped out of a notebook so he it was ripped out you could see it wasn't you know perfect on a beautiful piece of paper it was ripped out of out, out of a notebook um so i later found that notebook and he had written I'm not sure if you know the song. Um, it's called um, Fight Song. Yes, the Fight Song.
0: I do know he, it.
1: He had written that song out, um, which is pretty poignant, considering what happened. You would think, well, he was obviously really trying to fight. If that song spoke to him so much that he wrote it out, then he must have. It must have really been something intense for him and when I listen to the words of that song it makes sense it makes so much sense
0: can you um summarize the song for those people that don't know it
1: it's a song about sort of rising from the ashes and and fighting this is my life and fighting for your life and for your um I kind of feel like it's it's a bit like um coming out of of sadness and, and fighting for survival and I think that that's that is what he was doing was fighting for survival. It's it's about fighting for your life basically, but in a sort of a softer way. And I, I feel like he probably was because my view of depression since he died and before he died, I'll tell you a bit about that later. But, but my view of depression and, and then subsequently dying by suicide is that you die of a disease just like a cancer. Um, and I feel like he must have been fighting that disease so hard. And then he obviously, you know, didn't win. But I think that song must summarizes that that, that I'm going to take my life back. I'm going to not let this disease control me anymore. And I feel like that's where he was.
0: I think the hard part would be he seemed so happy and he didn't tell anybody his struggle and then this happens and then you're piecing together like a detective the song and the note and... Do you think for those people that might have a relationship to somebody that has passed by suicide, that it can be as simple as they just didn't want you to know, they just had to do it on their own terms?
1: Absolutely. And I also think that very often in that situation, you have decided that this is what you're going to do and you do not want anyone to stop you. I've also learned... I mean, I got my own big dose of depression after he died um, and you feel like such a burden to people. You feel like nobody really wants you here, that you know, you can't function normally and even though he was high functioning, I think to him, he didn't feel that way. And I think that his main reason for not telling us is he knew we would have done something about it and he knew that we would have stopped him. Um, And I also just don't think he wanted us to know how how bad he felt. I I genuinely think he was one of the kindest men I've ever met. And I I don't think that Sean wanted us to know he was suffering um, because we would suffer and he didn't want that.
0: And then I guess there's the other side of the coin and the people are going to be listening to this thinking, but then what he did created the suffering, you know, that he needed to be free of it, but it. no one is really free of it because it kind of transfers itself, the impact.
1: Exactly, well, it did. And I'm not gonna lie, I think all of us have faced our levels of anger towards him initially. I mean, I was like, how dare you? How could you do this? You knew we would help you. You knew we would do anything for you, but I think I think that that you're not thinking straight when you are in that space you you're not yourself you're not thinking oh how's this gonna impact us at the end I think what he actually thought was that he would be less of a burden he wouldn't be a financial burden on his partner because he was starting a new business he wouldn't be a burden on me when he was upset he wouldn't be you know he we often and I sometimes think I regret it we we would make. You know, we would joke with him about Sean, chill, it's okay. You don't need to be so highly strung about this thing. Or, you know, around my wedding, he helped me organize it because it was in Cape Town. And I was like, Sean, just relax, it's okay. And I feel like he felt that he was a burden because of that part of his personality, too and i feel like he genuinely thought that if he wasn't here we would all have been relieved um and having spoken to other people who have attempted suicide since then who who didn't succeed they will they confirm that they genuinely felt as if them not being here would be would be a relief to their family and it's not i can assure you anybody who's thinking about it please please get the help you need because it it is the worst thing for a family to go through it's um and you also have this weird shame because other people lose their lives to cancer or diseases and your family member you know cho- made a choice but they were also victim of a disease and they were also i i genuinely think he just wasn't in his right mind and he didn't stop to think through him being gone and how for five years still afterwards we're all still devastated by the fact that he's not here anymore
0: can we talk about that then the impact on you his partner um his parents can we talk about that kind of you know it's like that ripple effect of of pain and and damage how did that affect you personally
1: Well, we're an incredibly close family. I mean, it was always Mum and dad were divorced, but they remained really, really good friends. Um, We just always had this incredibly close family. So for me, it wasn't just my own suffering, but watching them suffer, um, particularly my dad was, and my stepdad, they're they're such beautiful men. and, And this was just so hard for them to understand why he didn't, um, sorry, why he didn't tell them. Um, so for me, it was watching everybody else suffer as much as it was my own suffering. Um, my sister was pregnant in the UK and she couldn't come to South Africa. To the, she had a, a bit of a complicated pregnancy um, with water on her lungs, I think it was. and. She couldn't come and i remember having a conversation with her on the phone and her saying to me why couldn't he wait <laughs> why couldn't he wait because i can't come and say goodbye and i just remember thinking oh if only he knew how much we all loved him and that we would have done anything to help him but sorry let me take a deep breath it's okay but he just didn't he just didn't understand, I and I understand having had depression now, myself, um, and anxiety. But there are your brain chemistry messes you up. It makes you believe things that are not true. Um, but yeah, that dad. One of the things I should share, which was the most beautiful, is he said, "You know, I accept you guys." for all the choices you make in your lives, whatever it is. And Sean made a choice that he didn't want to be here anymore. And I have to accept that choice. And I don't mean, I don't think any of us wanted to accept it at all, mm. but we had to, we had to accept that choice. And I think seeing my mum who's stoic, um, oh, if you want to see a bus bitch, that's my mum. <laughs> She's the toughest lady, uh, but also very, very soft. People just don't, I mean, the kind, beautiful, works in the community, human being. Um, and seeing her throw herself into work, like as if that was the only thing keeping her afloat. And she's a, she was at the time a foster carer. She came back from South Africa, and I think within two weeks she had, she was an intake foster carer, so she take, takes kids in. like for up to two years or did back then um to help them transition and find sort of a more permanent home or go back to their families and she had a little boy living with her within oh two or three weeks and Mm -hmm. i honestly i honestly think that helped her survive um so yeah so for mum, that was how she did it my sisters obviously Went back to the UK, and I think it was it was easier for us because we all got on planes and left. You know, we didn't have to go home to that house every day like my brother-in-law did. And I think he lived in that house again for another year, um, and then he moved since after that. Um, but we had the luxury of going home and dealing with our grief. Uh, they didn't in South Africa. They had to go to all the places that reminded you of him. And I honestly think we all went into like our own shells for a while. We we didn't speak about it. We every now and again did on anniversaries and birthdays. We definitely speak about it a lot more. Um, and as the years have progressed and it's gotten a bit easier, we talk more openly about it. But that first year was like a, a blur. I don't even remember half of that. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. um i separated from my ex-husband within three months or four <gasps> months of my brother dying yeah wow. so we sean passed in october and we separated in march so yeah it, it it was a new marriage and it had been a bit of a whirlwind romance which i do not recommend <laughs> um and we it didn't it just i it wasn't me i couldn't be me um if I tried and I wasn't, there was this before Shorten suicide, Kirsten, and then there was this after Sean, Kirsten, and I am so different. I was such a bubbly, always look on the bright side, always happy person. And it took me years to get back to being that positive outlook. And even now I struggle. Um, it wasn't, I had two major losses in a short period um, and Yeah, it took me. It's taken me three years, four years to. You know, it's only in the last year that I've felt more like the me before Sean, but more grown up. If that makes sense. Um, it was. Yeah, it it completely changed our lives. It it was the most horrendous um experience for all of us. Um, and as I said, Sean was my best friend. He was just everything to me we'd grown up um, and we had always had each other no matter what and suddenly that person was gone for me I didn't have that person you could pick up the phone and say oh my god my marriage just ended Um, I didn't have that I didn't have that person that knew everything about me and my sisters had moved to the UK when we were very young so I'm close with them, but we didn't have that growing up together, living together experience. So, you know, and I'm the only one of my mum's kids left, which is hard for her. Um, And she's seen me go through depression. And then with having severe endometriosis, the depression that came with that and not being able to have kids and all of those things, she's seen me have, she's had to see me go through that. And I think her biggest fear is I would make the same choice. And I met. I never will. It's just um, I I
0: couldn't do that to them. You have learnt so much through your experience of having lost someone by suicide. There are going to be people petrified by this conversation, you know, potentially that has living with someone that has depression or anxiety. I mean, we know that it's rife in our country. And you're saying that there's no signs sometimes right is there anything that you want to say to families like like if they were in your situation prior
1: i think that if i went to and i highly recommend it for anybody who's lost anyone to suicide um i went to the lifeline uh lifeline support group um I went to the one in North Sydney because that's where I was living at the time but they are all over the country. And having spoken to others most of the time, I would say 90% of the time there are signs that there you know that this person is in a really bad way. Um there is the high functioning people in around I'd say 10 to 15% of the stories I've heard, I'm not that's not a statistic that I'm quoting off anywhere. Um where there were subtle signs. So I'm not talking about Outright, I'm going to take my life, and I hate my life, and those sort of things, which some people do have the experience of. um This is more; they're really subtle. So, at my wedding, my brother, we'd all had a lot of drinks, and he was saying, "Well, I'm not going to live past 40," and we all went, oh, "Stop being ridiculous! You're being so morbid. Stop! You know, don't don't say that." And carried on. And he had said that to me prior. He he had always said to me, oh, I don't think I'll live beyond 40. I didn't realize that he genuinely knew he wouldn't live beyond 40. But there are little tiny signs. But it's really hard at the time to to know that that's what it is. But if you know someone has depression and they say something like that to you, my regret is I didn't explore it. So ask, well, what do you mean? Why do you think that? Um, and as an ex-journo, I was quite disappointed in myself, but I didn't. But I think you're so shocked when someone says that to you that you're kind of like, oh, I just, I don't want to hear that, that that's not something I want to know. Whereas I think explore the feelings a bit more with them. So if somebody's like, oh, this makes me so anxious, don't palm it off. Say, oh, well, why? What can I do? How can I help? And I know that's hard when you're dealing with somebody who's always anxious or who always is highly strong. So we as a family, I think a lot of the time just went, oh, well, that's just Sean. But I think if we'd explored it a bit more, we would have gotten a bit deeper. But I also know, having spoken to all of these people who have also experienced suicide bereavement, that when somebody has made that call, they're going to do it or at least attempt to do it. It's not, and I hate to say that because it's scary, and it scares me even now because of other family and friends. Um, but once somebody has made that call, it's it's so weird. They don't tell people. They're not going to let you know what they're planning. It's very, um, they go into themselves and they just decide this is what they're going to do. There's often a sign where somebody who's been heavily depressed suddenly the week before, super happy. Suddenly they feel like the weight a weight has been lifted off their shoulders. And whether that's because they've made a decision to do what they're going to do, or whether they just want to enjoy their last few days, or whatever it is, I'm not sure why that happens. But there is a lot of talk of that. There's a lot of talk of people going, but he had such a great weekend before. Such a, you know, he was doing so well. And then suddenly that decision is made. And again, that's scary. But if there's a sudden change in their behavior from relatively depressed and anxious to suddenly happy, maybe just ask a question, just say, are you okay? Is everything good? Are you sure you're okay? I'm not sure that they're gonna tell you, if I'm honest. I mean, if Sean didn't tell me, he wasn't gonna tell anyone. Mm. Can
0: I ask you then where you sit now with forgiveness? Oh,
1: i i think i was only angry with him for a very short time um as i said i i researched extensively after he died about uh, death by suicide and and where where you come from um in terms of that kind of um decision and i i know that he wouldn't have done it if his mind was working correctly if his brain chemistry wasn't Telling him, well, the, the imbalance in his brain chemistry wasn't telling him that he was a burden to us and he shouldn't be here, and that the world is a horrible place. I know he wouldn't have done that to us, so I've I have 100% forgiven him, and I know everybody else in the family has. We've all discussed that we there there is no blame. We've accepted his choice, um, which is hard. <laughs> Trust me, it's taken a long time, but we have we've accepted that that is what happens, and. We don't love him any less we're not angry with him one of my pet peeves and i implore people not to say this to anyone is that it's selfish it's not selfish um it's not a selfish act it is that's the worst thing you can say to somebody who i think people think that making you feel better and sort of I don't know what the word is, but they're making you feel as if you're vindicated in your anger towards that person by telling you that they think they're selfish and what a selfish thing to do. But that is so hurtful. It wasn't selfish. It was a disease that caused them, their brain not to work properly and they made this decision. Um, You know, it's it's horrible and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but it wasn't. You have to forgive them. It's so much worse if you don't.
0: Mm.
1: and I'm talking from a sister perspective I'm not sure how I would feel if I was a wife and I had kids or how I would feel if it was my child um, but from my perspective it, it's so much easier to forgive and learn about depression and go oh now I get it than to focus on how selfish they were and how could they do this to us and it, it, it's It's the same as you wouldn't do that if somebody died of cancer. It's the same thing.
0: Have you had to forgive
1: yourself for anything? Yes, many things. (laughs) Um, I think most of all would be not listening to him sometimes, like sort of palming off his behaviours as, oh, well, that's just Sean. He's just being highly strung, or he's just anxious or instead of going, oh, well, let me talk to you about that or why are you drinking so much because he he was a heavy drinker um can we help you to stop that because the drinking was a real problem um well in my eyes i don't know if everybody agrees with me but i know i felt like his drinking was a self-medication um thing but i didn't know that at the time we all like a wine (laughs) like the whole family we're all like that so we don't drink quite as much i think as he did but um it didn't occur to me to say hey you're drinking a little bit more than what you were before is there a reason for that like why there's a lot of questions that i feel i should have asked him that i didn't so yes i did have to forgive myself in fact i think i had to forgive myself more than i had to forgive him um because the guilt that comes with it is huge well why didn't i know my mum and i both spoke to him that morning there was no indication whatsoever he was upset about something but not to the extent that you would ever have thought that what was going to happen was going to happen um yeah he there was no indication in that phone call and both mum and i i know have discussed this that we were both like well how did we not hear how did we not know so yeah he spoke and my biggest thing is that I was at work and in a meeting and he tried to phone and I thought I'll call him afterwards and I I sort of hung up the phone and then I think it was two or three hours later my dad phoned me to tell me what had happened.
0: So do you think
1: he called you after he put his husband to bed? I do. I, I don't know and I'm not sure how much of my family even knows this. <laughs> I better warn them. But he did. He tried to call me and I I feel like would I have been able to talk him down? (sighs) Um, But I was in a meeting. I mean, any of us would have done the same thing, but for me to like logically, it took me years to logically go, but you couldn't have known that you needed to answer that call. How could you have known? And when I spoke to him that morning, I said, I'm going into work and it was a brand new job. I'd literally been there for three days.
0: It's one of those things that I think it's all our worst nightmare. You know, yeah, to get the that call that you miss that call,
1: oh. and it was so strange. Yeah, it was. It was three hours later. I think four hours later that my dad' phone, and it was literally we'd had a meeting for an hour. I'd gone to do some work, and I thought I'll call him back at lunchtime, and then I thought, oh no, it's like middle of the night. Yeah, it's two in the morning. It didn't occur to me that I should call him back straight away, and I don't know that it would have changed anything. I just will never forgive myself for not answering that call. Well, I've forgiven myself, but I'll never stop wondering that if I'd taken the call, if things would have been different.
0: Do you feel like when someone passes from suicide, the story then becomes of their life about this moment, or do you still... Feel like Sean and you, your relationship with him, do you remember it in its entirety or is it shadowed by this, by the final moment?
1: I think initially, the first year or so, it was all about that moment. It was just about that moment. I couldn't get it out of my head. But then as I progressed, now I value all of the moments and every part of our relationship and i kind of feel and it sounds weird that our relationship has continued after (laughs) he's passed away like i i feel like that very strong bond that we had will never be broken it doesn't matter how he had died it it lives on that love that connection that bond will always be something that i will treasure for the rest of my life it's not something that Ended because he died. It's it's such a sad
0: story for so you know our statistics in Australia even are so horrible for yeah. suicide that hearing you speak about it in a way that you've come so far with your grief is I, I'm hoping comforting to some and also educational for others to understand how they can potentially see signs or reach out to help. Um, My final question to you is, who are you and no one's watching?
1: Um, I'm an introvert. Everybody thinks I'm an extrovert. I'm not. (laughs) Um, I need um, a lot of alone time to really sort of um, process things. So yeah, I'm also an avid reader and yeah, I'm a different person to who I was before Sean died. I'm way more introspective. Um and I try to be more in touch with the empathetic side of myself that I that I tended to sort of stamp down before Sean. Um but yeah, I'm I'm a pretty simple person. I like books and, and relaxing and, and sort of spending time with myself and, and my rescue dog who's mm. fast asleep next to me.
0: <laughs> thank you. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your family's story with us today. I really hope that it's connecting and helping others and maybe helping you too at the same time sharing it with us.
1: It helped me a lot, it? it has, and I – just want to say to anybody who's considering suicide, just remember that it does your people love you and they don 't want you gone from this world, no matter what you've done or what you think you've done or how you perceive their feelings towards you, they want you here, so that's my main main thing is that just remember that people want you here, even if it 's just one person, they really want you here Thank you so much. No, that's a pleasure, absolute pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep.